Greetings from the Seventh Circle. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Seventh Circle of Film. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, as always, Kieran, and joining me, the other host, Ty. Uh, I still haven't forgiven you for Vampire Suck. This, this is fun. We're doing something... This is actually fun. This is actually, yeah, I. it's not enough, but it's getting there. It's, I'm progressing down the bandwagon of forgiveness, pushing down that line. Um, and I, I'm counteracting that by, before we started talking, well, listeners, we talked about Smurf sex. So I'm, I'm just kind of counteracting this. You don't this want to color. talk about that. <laughs> you don't. We need to start recording this. And you don't like, want to think about that. Like mm. extra preamble. Yeah. I, I'm the got... arrow of trough. We fucking push out. Leave you the question there. Um, how how does Smurfs reproduce? There, there's your... Speak of that in the comments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's know. Uh, and uh, more comments about Smurf sex. <laughs> there fucking is going to be now. Yeah, there probably will be. Yep. Yes, I've raised my flag. Blue bald bastards. Uh, that, if you want an episode on us talking about Smurf sex, leave a comment. <laughs> I'll do that. I'll do that as well. <laughs> my dear for April Fools. Just an hour on Smurf sex. <laughs> um, and yeah, as you can hear, joining us once again, Ronya. Hello, nice to be back. I thought we'd mm. gra- grab some authentic uh, German person. Tested we'll it and like everything. Continue yeah. to just talk German now, and no one will understand me. No. Do it. Do the entire thing in German. Answer all our okay. questions in German. <laughs> that yeah. Right. She did the art history and shit as well. Not not of like Germany, but somewhere in the world. So that that adds that to credentials. Yeah. You you have some uh, like getting into university. You have to go to school, obviously, duh. and. Uh, that requires that you also have a little bit of history uh, on a uh, like German and European part. So I do a little bit ne- know a little bit about that, but not that much as I probably would like to. But, yeah. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I don't think I could name a British painting to save my life if someone put a knife to my throat and asked me name the British artists. With the British is that they. We just didn't nicked all of use as much. Exactly. You just took it. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're the world's critics. We're the world's shopkeepers, to quote Napoleon. We know good stuff and we just take it. To be fair, yeah, Napoleon nicked it, it, more. It's a good thing. I don't know. It, it's, I, I take it as a compliment, which probably isn't a good thing and is quintessentially British. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just went to the British Museum like uh, a few months ago and uh, I was like, yeah, that, that's everything but British. <laughs> it was nice, though. <laughs> We're a melting pot of cultures we may or may not have enslaved. Anyway, uh, yeah, Moving on. I'm, I'm going to trash another country in a second anyway. Push away from us. Uh, the Cabinet of Dr. Calgary, which, uh, if you haven't heard of it, fair enough. It's We are going <laughs> to we're going to spoil it to shit, but as far as I'm concerned, anything that's in public domain, I'm allowed to bounce off on. I feel like spoilers for a film that's 103 years old. I think that's fine. I think the only person watching this movie up to date are just students who have to. Who are forced to watch that. I'm going to get killed by some like Dracula motherfucker who's been waiting on this for years. (laughs) Wait until the price came down. (laughs) Honestly, fair play on them, man. 
so that'd be great, wouldn't it? You know those fuckers who like wait five years for games to come down in price. There's some vampire that's sitting there waiting for things to come into public domain so we can just watch them for free. Some complete cheapskate. Well, you've got to do something with the hundreds of years of life you have. <laughs> uh, so, Cabinet of Dr. Calgary, which is almost a proto-slasher, one of the quintessential foundations in horror making. Not in horror, as actually I should say, in film generally. This is a cornerstone of expressionism, one of the fundamentals for surrealism. Um, I, Tim Burton could be sued ten times over by this. Everything oh, yeah. he's ever done. It's and it's spectacular. It's it still holds up. It's still good all the way through. You have to take time. You have to take the time into account. You have to take the context into account. But even outside of that, the story's still solid, and the set pieces are incredible. Yeah, the um, whoever made the backgrounds and the set design is, and the editor. I'd also like to specify the editor because they did an amazing job with what little they had. I mean, this is back in the day where you're throwing tape up in the air and cutting it with scissors. Re-sticking it together. I mean, it's basically like a stage you would do for, for a theatre, and, and it'd really look good. Hmm. Yeah. And I've I whined poetically how much I love theatrical film making. Um, all the stuff I've done, and all the stuff I've storyboarded, has had theatrics in mind, like a, a play system. And these, these old 30s, 20s films, especially the silent era, that only had theatre plays to work off of, only had that era to go based uh, for their own acting, are just magical. They're true films in the sense of films. They don't feel real. They don't feel normal. You feel like you're being whisked away. It helps that pretty much everyone associated with this is um, long gone. It, it really does have a feel of fantasy. Anyway, uh, jumping into all that, we've got kicking off with director Robert Wayne, who, and I'm not going to know any of this stuff. Actually, I say that a couple. You'll be surprised that you might know as well. Uh, the Hands of Orlock, Genuine, Rashkolovniko, which I'm presuming is Russian. If any of these jump out to you, Ron, yeah, I don't blame you. If they don't. <laughs> no, that's, uh... I was like, who are you talking about? Oh, okay. That's all right. I don't know any of this shit either for, for the British stuff back in the 20s. Uh, Carl Mayer, one of the writers who did The Last Laugh, uh, Her Tatruff, uh, New Year's Eve, Hans Janowitz, uh, Der Janzukonf, Eternal River, uh, Marisa. Basically, I try to pick and choose what ones look vaguely interesting if you don't want to jump into something else. Um, and I should say, yeah, <laughs> I made this mistake say to it really stupid before we started but these people are all dead and they're not doing stuff anymore this film is 103 years old there's no fucking Methuselah that worked on this just to, just to say so uh, cast wise biggest name going forward and my favourite actor in it uh, as it stands Conrad Veet, uh who played Caesar for us, Kaisar if you're feeling very Fallout or um, what was the way you put it Ronya? Uh, Cesaro. Cesaro. Nice. Uh, who was in... Uh, first, I'll go for like, bottom to top in terms of influence. So The Thief of Baghdad as basically Jafar. If you talk in the Aladdin version, I think it's Jafar in the, uh, the original Arabian Nights tales on back four. And he directly influenced the performance by Jafar in the Disney version far, far into the future. Hans Warlock as well. 
uh, in a film called The Man Who Laughs, which is notable for being the influence for the Joker, the old Cesar Romero and the Detective Comics version way back in the day. All of this stuff, by the way, is available on the Internet Archive. You can see this for free, pretty much, except for what a lot of people consider to be the best film ever and what I watched in preparation for this. And it was fucking great. It was absolutely hilarious, incredible. Uh, Casablanca, wherein Conrad Wieck played the uh, head German, the villain. And just as a running tally, I want to say he died in New York. This will become relevant as we go on. There's a certain incident that happened in the 1940s in Germany. And if you're not aware, ask mommy and daddy. Also ask them why the fuck you're allowed to listen to this. <laughs> also read a fucking book. <laughs> we'll get on to that. Go this first. Werner Krauss, who plays Dr. Calgary uh, spectacularly, I should add. Again, like Conrad Veet, who is in Waxworks, Secrets of a Soul, and the film called Judd Sub. Oh boy. Right, so this was a film made in Germany in 1940 about a Jewish banker from the 1600s. And that's where I'm going to leave that. Not going to touch that with a stick. Moving, oh, he died in Germany, by the way. Surprise, fucking surprise. Moving swiftly on, little Dagnova. Little fucking Dagnova. What an awful fucking first name. Sounds like a proto-rapper, like way back in the day who plays Jane, as opposed to, like, fucking little anti-Semitist above her. It was in The Strange Countess, her Tantuff again, and a film called Bismarck, which is about a, I believe, an Austro, like, not king. He, he came just after the German dynasty fell. I only know him from Civ Five. I know he was a... Who, who is Bismarck, Ronya? Do you, do you... Do you know the guy? You talking about Otto von Bismarck? Yeah, Otto von Bismarck. Yeah, um, that was the first chancellor of the German Empire. Okay. Like in, in, in like late, what is it, 1900s, I think? Don't pinpoint me on that. No, no, yeah, it was somewhere around there. It was like 1880, 1870, or 1860, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. even. Um, but yeah, the, the second half, the latter half of that era, um, big name. Again, who's in Civ Five? That's as far as my knowledge of the world goes. But it gets you by quite far. You'd be surprised. Friedrich Feher, which is kind of our protagonist, really, uh, who plays Francis, who's in the Robber Symphony, Matahari, which I think I've heard of actually. Uh, and then finishing off with Hans Heinrich von Tawalski. Sounds like either Czech or Polish. Probably Polish. I would say Polish. Fair enough. Uh, it was in Confessions of a Nazi Spy. <laughs> Confessions of a Nazi Spy, which is anti-Nazi propaganda, espionage agent, and hangmen also die. He died in New York. Surprise, fucking surprise. So yeah, the, the, the cast and production team behind this film, because of the era they were born in, because of the period, they either died in Germany or New York, and that tended to correspond with what type of propaganda they were throwing out there. Part by part. Believe it or not, the guy who played the villain in Casablanca wasn't allowed back into Germany. He uh, died of a heart attack, I think, Conrad Veet, in like 1942, playing golf. And originally I'd saw that he'd um, he died in Germany for one reason or another, and I thought, fucking hell, you went back to Germany? Yeah, they poisoned you, clearly. But no, yeah, he, he died in LA. So uh, budget box office-wise, all of this is completely unreliable. 
and the amount of different values I've been handed are amazing. Um, having looked into it, the currency at the time was the German um, mark, which was changed to the rice mark later on, and then changed to the euro later on to that. I've got these in euros. No, we had the mark oh. after the... Like, the uh, Reichsmark is only for the period of the uh, Nazi time, and then after that, um, we had two currencies at the same time because we had like the East and the West Germany. Of course. So yeah. we had like the normal mark in West Germany, and then um, we also had the Ostmark, which is like kind of East mark. And then we had the normal, like then Germany was united together, so we had just one currency again, which was again mark. And then in what was it, 2001, 2002, we got the euro? Yeah. Okay, right. That's a little economic history for you. But I've, I'll put these in euros. Either way, um, I've whatever secured <laughs> one. Whatever their currency was, I, I could see like the little notation, and it translated into this. This is just to give people an element of context. So the budget says seventeen thousand euros, and I know for a fact that that isn't inflated. It was that low. This is incredibly low budget, ridiculously low budget. And for, like at the time, it was seventeen thousand euros, which is like a hundred fucking pound back then. That could buy you like a, a roll of bread and shit based on inflation. To be, to be fair, like the most expensive in this whole movie must have been the film equipment, like the literal camera to mm. film this. Which oh, in the nineteen twenties, it it was very expensive to to own uh, filming equipment. Um, like everything, like stage setting wise was fairly easily to obtain and make because they used like this um, theatrical uh, background and, and could probably use a lot of what has already been used for uh, theatres like light wise and, and uh, setting wise um, oh, yeah, box office wise these aren't anywhere near reliable I, I saw about 50 figures they all range between 8,000 euros and 4,000 it's it's not going to be that, to be honest. It's going to be something. And I, I can't even come close to telling you. I'm amazed, to be fair, that I found figures for this and I struggle even more to find figures for other shit. Like the fucking... <laughs> um, the Resident Evil animated films were harder to track down than this stuff, which is it's staggering. Yeah, none of <laughs> this. Like more were they better at covering up? Pretty He's much, yeah. And then trivia-wise... First things first, this is entirely related to the discussion we had just before starting up. Um, the reason they went with Sominus, Sominus Ambula, Sominus Ambula, Ambulus, or whatever they used, um, it's the Latin for sleepwalker. Sominus meaning sleep, and Ambulo meaning walker. That's where that came from. And in terms of the thing you were talking about, Ty, before we kicked off the German thing, about you need to become Calgary. Looking up, that was advertising um, in Germany. There were just posters that were being put up saying become Calgary all around town. And no one knew what it was about. No one understood I anything think, about it. I mean, how, how I understood it was that, that it was just uh, in his head. That it was like kind of like vision, like implementing. Because you have like, they don't have speech. It's, it's a silent movie. So what I was thinking about that was more like that it was like kind of like hallucination, like hearing voices kind of thing. 
that was what I was getting from that, because like with the like appearing and reappearing, like that they were not like written on a poster. It was more like all over the place and like appearing and reappearing. Oh no! Yeah, in, in the context, that, that was my yeah. that was my feeling I got, but I might be like totally wrong. No, the context of the film, yeah, one hundred percent. That that works out. I'm just saying why might why they might have done it in German. That's oh yeah, why they haven't translated it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and just the point is set between World War One and World War Two. Obviously, when I say set, it was literally made between World War One and World War Two, which has a, a great impact on some of the economy around how it was made and what happened to it, and. So it's often said that, you know, um, limitations bolster creativity. Limitations create uh, fucking eureka moments. That's a term. I can't think of it at all. And I think this this film really is the poster child for that kind of stuff, not to to excuse the pun, which will come obvious in a minute. Um, So first things first, sets were partially necessitated because of an electricity ration. So within Germany at the time, there was a massive electricity ration. They couldn't have the camera on for so long. They couldn't have the lighting on for so long, which meant that they couldn't light it fully. Uh, and the camera had to be completely static. They couldn't get multiple shots. They couldn't get bits from the side, which had, had obviously an effect on the shooting, the filmmaking, which we'll go into in a bit. Um, the sets themselves were constructed, and this is in dollars, I apologize, for less than $800. And the leading actors were paid $30 a day. Fuck all. Absolutely nothing. Uh, and the... Actually, that's about it. Let's go over the ins and outs. Um, we still do have an original script in Germany that one of the actors kept that was given over in 1970 when he died. He showed that he had it in 1955. And it's not Vice Entertainment. I can't remember. The View Entertainment, I think it's called. Which was a... Um, newspaper, I suppose, back in 1920 that reviewed this film. Just to say, this film isn't just loved in retrospect, it isn't adored now, it was adored then as well. People could see that there was some you know, mastery of the craft of filmmaking, something being made that was beautiful. Uh, and just to quote, I should have really put down who the hell said this, but a, a newspaper from the time, um, settings that squeeze and turn and adjust the eye and through the eye the mentality. And they they noted down all the set makers and the editor as well, quite rightly so, because all of them did a marvellous fucking job. And really, I think all credit needs to go to them for this film retaining its iconic status through the years. Uh, the the distorted sets, yeah, they're just... I don't even want to say Burton-esque. I think that's um, yeah a problem that people have when they look at older films, um, which I, I'm pretty sure I'm not coining this. I'm sure I've read this somewhere, but the Citizen Kane effect, where something is so ingrained into the modern-day filmmaking technique that it doesn't look impressive anymore, and you just skip on by it. I'd just like to give an analogy. My shitty chicken that I season with nothing but salt is not impressive. But fucking Ungo Bungo back in like <laughs> sixty thousand BC, who seasoned his shit with salt, he is impressive. He's still a fucking genius. He's a mavioso of cooking. Even if I'm a retrobate that can't season for shit, that stuff they do in Calgary is incredible. It's fucking phenomenal. Even if 
it's standard technique to now. Well, not even if. Because it's standard te- technique to now, that makes it more impressive. It sustained itself for hundreds of, well, a hundred years, and hopefully hundreds. Even then, art direction-wise, it's still good. It's not even that it's like, oh, it's not that impressive. It's still rather impressive what they do with angles and the painting on the walls and how it conveys characters' emotions at the time and just set pieces showing like the tiny hut that Kalgoy lives in um, when he's at the fair. Just stuff like that is still impressive and not enough people, I would say. <laughs> Um, it's only really Tim Burton, unfortunately, that really lean so much on a similar style. I think, again, it's necessitated through the limitation of having just one camera angle, that you need to make mm. every shot look beautiful. I know they only have... I said the only. They, they have absolutely marvellous sets, but they, they have a dozen or so, a dozen, two dozen to work with. Yeah. Um, and all of them are handcrafted, obviously for all of this and they, they all look spectacular the one with the city the backdrop they have is incredible to look at the one where he's carrying um caesar's carrying the girl on the rooftops is one of the best scenes i've seen ever frankly <laughs> it's it's lighted perfectly you know as well um, i was reading up that they couldn't have perfect shadow and so what they did is painted the shadows on to the walls yeah. and the sides the amount of work and effort because they had this one camera angle, they knew what the angle the camera was going to come at. They could just paint a, basically a theatre set for every single shot. And you know, to, to meet that um, expressionist style, the surrealistic style with the same acting chops, I mean, maybe it was because of the time. And I've seen Nosferatu. They're, they're also very um, expressionist. They're very uh, emotive. As compared to today and now, where it's it's far more naturalistic, where people don't go off on um, uh, a joint. Back then, people had this ability to act like they were in a film. There's not even a way of fucking putting it anymore. <laughs> no one does it anymore. Is the thing. I think the closest thing we have now is what we would call like hammy acting, like very over the top, very. Exp- like very like lots of expressions, uh, always facing forward and like showing off the face, very much like a theatre. I I think that's the closest thing we really have, in but it doesn't give. It almost puts it in a bad light, you know. When you say like hammy acting, he's chewing the set. You know, I think it says a lot that um, have you seen that Nick Cage film, the biop basically biopic that he did massive talent ego thing yeah the film they have at the start of that that he's arguing with his daughter about is the cabinet of dr calgary and i think that was purposefully done because cage is kind of the poster child for this modern acting style in the vampiric light and yeah i I think nowadays it's considered funny because it's a contrast to what we usually have Hmm. but it it's a style in itself and it in this kind of context, not even in this context, I love this kind of style. It's theatrical. It's saying that yes, this is a film. This is fantasy. This is what it is, and we're not. We're trying to bring you into this universe, but not in a, a wholly. Um, fuck, I completely forgot the word. 
it's not trying to make you feel like you're there. It's showing you a spectacle. Like uh, something from a carnival. Yeah, 100%. And it's, it's about right. Like Films from that era certainly were spectacle. You have the, the famous um, train coming out of the audience and the audience running away. We are now used to like so many like scenes and actions and like movie itself is like such a major part in our daily life that we do not think about it. Like we have advertisements all around us. We have the TV running. We have Netflix. We have it on our phones. Like we're just like over flooded with, with like everything cinematography. So if you think back in the day, like having a picture and like, ha- or like even having like moving film was like so new and so rare. Like you could, you only had films in cinema. You had to go to the cinema to watch them. Not everyone could afford that. It was like kind of like you would go for a fancy restaurant. It was something like you, you would actually like wait up and do. Like it, it, it wasn't like around you all the time. So that like also makes it like. So much more special and and that's why like people are like yeah surprised by like more things we are now like it, it it's so much harder to put something incredible into film right now because we have seen air quotes everything it, it is it is a lot harder to, to get us impressed as a as a viewer as an audience you know the funny thing? I think actually using this style nowadays would be impressive if you used it well. And it is, actually. No, it, it's not it would be, it is. Um, I've been talking to my nan about the old Flash Gordon show she used to watch back in the 40s. You, you get where they, you just dropped off your kids, forgot about them, and just left them there to watch this utter... Not trite. Sci- <laughs> no, yeah, fucking sci-fi shit from back in the 40s. Awful stuff that pushed into that cheesy element and um, to, to an extent kind of devalued the the expressionist style back then. When, when you compare that to nowadays, and it is partially considered a joke in kind of the cagest style, where you watch him go in these over-the-top fashions and people make fun of that, it, it does also have a slight um, push in the modern day where you've got films, and the only one I can think of off the top of my head, one of my favourite films ever, Top ten easily, uh, the lighthouse, where you've got I'm I'm certain Robert Eggers had seen stuff like this, and told Willem Dafoe during some of his speeches to take from this, because again it, it feels like a film, in Russia it feels like fantasy. Do you remember that? I think we went to see it like twenty. We went to see it together. Uh, it no, I agree. It, also, just the fact that the lighthouse is in black and white as well. All the shadows, all the lighting is very much enhanced, almost. Like there's no subtle shadows when it's in black and white. It's also, expressions and makeup are like so much more present in black and white movies than they are like in actual colored. Mm. But anyway, yeah, it's been about thirty minutes, so I won't keep droning on and actually jump <laughs> this into. This is going to be in short episode. <laughs> Whenever I say short episode, I mean like it's going to be about two hours. That's how it always <laughs> fucking is. Every single time. Whenever it's, whenever it's just one film, it always goes on for fucking ages. Um, so, and I'm, I'm going to go off for another like 15 minute tangent as well now. Because I need to go into some of the production design outside of just the sets. Everything in this film is crooked. 
absolutely everything. I remember that old crooked man uh, nursery rhyme from back in the day. Uh, even the lettering, when it comes in, it's a particular font choice. So I know me and Ty saw the same version, had a kind of noirish 50s soundtrack to it, put in post, obviously. I think the original had an orchestral kind of theme to it that was uh, dictated when it was being made, but that's pretty much been lost to time entirely now. Um, so, Ronya, when you were watching yours, mm-hmm. I'm presuming it had the same kind of crooked lettering within the uh, title Yes, class. I had. So, yeah, uh, for reference, I watched it in the in the German version. Um, and I think I watched the, um, the newest version with the uh, sound uh, from the uh, Bundes Jazz Orchestra, if I'm not mistaken. So it had a proper orchestral kind of backing, like big sounds. Uh, yeah, not not. It's it's jazz orchestra, so it's it's not like a full on orchestra. It's um, um, it's 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 more like um, uh, what do we have? Um, uh, violin, guitar, piano. And stuff like that. So it's it's not full on orchestra, but yeah, I, I think I watched that version. I'm not a hundred percent sure though, but I think it it was the la- latest version, um, for the film because they they did a lot of retakes on the film, like restoration retakes on the film, and I think the latest one was um with a new uh, sound from 2021. On the latest. Yeah, it's fascinating to see. If you look through all the restorations, you can kind of see more and more. It's like a shadow emerging out. I mean, you can barely get any of these from the original. Um, I said the, the original restoration. You can't see shit. You can't make anything out. And then it gets mm. more um, lucid and more and more lucid as you go along until eventually you can see some of the details. Obviously, I started with the far later one, like everyone else, and then went back to have a look so I could kind of piece together mm. what was there. I, I almost wish I could forget everything and go from the start on and have it all pieced in. But yeah, it's like everything in this film is crooked. Uh, the lettering, the set work, um, so just think Burton-esque. Think kind of Frankenstein as well, actually. That clearly took a lot from this with some of the castle work. And the acting as well, I'd argue, beyond just the expressionist angle. So many of the actors, certainly Caesar um, or Cesare, he certainly takes the, the set into tune with his own style where he'll have his hands just dragging along the set work, where he'll branch out when you get to some of the tree scenes later in, he'll he'll make like a tree um, and uh, stand there still with his arms out. I refuse to make that joke. And a lot of the other actors, Calgary certainly embodies a lot of the style they had with the set work. Lee says a lot that they were the two most, they were two best actors in it. The woman as well, actually. Reminded me a lot of Bride of Frankenstein, or I suppose Bride of Frankenstein reminds me of her a lot. Um, she was mm-hmm. very, very stiff through it. I don't want to say stiff as in bad. She was stiff on purpose, purposefully stiff. Yeah, that's it's mm. it's something I wanted to uh, bring up earlier when we we're talking about like how expressive the characters are. Very much often in these kinds of films, characters who aren't expressive tend to either be like either dead or like in a in a very bad state, if that makes sense. So Cesare um is 
not dead, but like this kind of always sleepwalking, kind of very dire character. So his movements are very slow. His like expressionless on his face almost, and that obviously is very different to these very flamboyant alive characters. So it's a very it's a shortcut of showcasing. Oh, this there's something inherently wrong with this person. Even if in real life it's the reverse. You know the funny thing with that, with her stiffness, when you get to the twist at the end, and spoiler alert for those in their hundred and tens. <laughs> you know what? But what am I fucking saying? They'll have forgotten it by the time I say it anyway. I mean, she's she's obviously catatonic, not catatonic, but she's in a certain state when you see her at the end. Anyway, and I I don't know if that has reference to how they decide to play her in the actual um, retelling by uh, Francis at the start. So obviously she's just walking around fairly gormless. Caesar's just sitting there picking up flowers. And Calgary's the only one with proper... You know, he's got exaggeration to his movements because he's actually a person. He's running around. I don't know if this is Francis being kind of a reliable, in this case, narrator. See what I got from this like first scene. I I lived, I nearly saw her as a ghost, with like this white dress gown and um, the way she moved like through these um, uh, what was it like vines or something like hanging mm. there. And and I got like, like he he was like literally talking about that he was um was um expelled from his house and and his from his family um and haunted by ghosts blah 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 um so i kind of like saw it as as that kind of like a reflection of that it, that was kind of my interpretation of the of this scene but i'm uh, she's very she was standing out so much with her white dress mm. well speaking of unreliable narrator you mentioned that all the sets are crooked. Apart from one. And that's the insane asylum courthouse. The courthouse, courtyard. That's very rigid, very clean. And I think what I took from that is that all of the other sets are in his retelling. Even in the moments that he is not in. So this is just, it, spoiler alert, he's insane. That's revealed at the very end. He's a, a patient at the insane asylum. Or is he? <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Either way, yeah, if it's Calgary or not, he's still insane. Yeah. Uh, either driven insane by what happened or it's all in his mind. I think it's all in his mind because all of the sets are this warped view of reality and the only one that isn't is the place where he lives the only place he knows he has reference for he knows exactly what it looks like as is shown at the final scene where he's in that courtyard being insane whereas all the other set pieces are this warped and crooked view of reality just to give a reference on that for anyone who hasn't seen it, and again, watch it if you haven't. But um, basically, he gives the the story at the start. You see him on a bench with someone else, which I think makes this the first like flashback 
film. Certainly the first film that I think has a flashback in a flashback, um, which we get later on. A flashback in a flashback in a retelling from an insane person. Jesus, that's convoluted when you really push that. Yeah, I, I, I think that that is like the first time that's ever happened in a movie and like has been recorded on camera. I don't think that anyone has done it before. Like all of these jumping in time and like kind of different mindsets. So yeah, I mean, qu quickly jumping through some of the stuff. Uh, in terms of his narration, I can't remember who. He, I think he's telling it to like an asylum staff member or an actual asylum inmate. I can't remember what it is when you actually get shown it's, everything. It's not specified. All that's shown at the very end is that he goes, "There he is. There's Caesar. Uh, don't, don't. He'll tell you your future. Don't, don't. You know, don't go near him." And the guy just kind of wide-eyed backs away. <laughs> Uh, whether or not he's just like a random dude, uh, a patient, or a doctor, doesn't really matter. Yeah, that's got no bearing really. Uh, but yeah, in, in terms of the reselling, we get uh, Calgary's Fair, uh, which gorgeous. Yeah, <laughs> nothing else to be said about it. The spinning tops in the background. Ah. Oh. Have you ever been on one of those? Um, it, you get it in some fairgrounds. It's generally ones that are like set up in parks over like one day that you see the fucking roller coasters for, and you think, oh, I don't feel like losing an arm today. Those kind of fucking places. But you get this one ride where you just walk around it, and it like a pathway that keeps moving up and down, keeps shaking, and it. Yeah. I I think it does um, originate from like the eighteen hundreds, and it's really fucking old. That way of doing it. And the pathways they had behind the set where you got Calgary in the foreground, you got that in the background, it really reminded me of that. It was very chaotic at the very least. There were like hundreds of people just running around. You could barely see anything. Yeah, no, it's it's really beautiful. Rivaling um, I think the some of the pathway shots for best set pieces in the film. Okay, my brain is still on like I don't know, I can't get get off of that, that's the scene with Jane in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but my brain is just like hyper focusing on this part now. And I'm like, I'm thinking about the last scene where we have her sitting in the throne. Does she wear the same dress? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because like this scene is supposedly like seconds after, like they 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 sit like okay, first first act, they sit in the uh, in the garden. Which is like directly followed timeline wise by the sixth act, where they are like standing up and then like going to the um, courtyard and then um, he's talking to Jane and like wants to marry her. Mm. And like I'm now thinking, like, like either she walked over, but it doesn't make much sense for me. So I'm still like thinking that, that the first Jane is not really there. And she because like she would have had to move like from that place to to the to the throne. Yeah, well, you have to remember that uh, the main character has been. We don't know how long it took him to tell his story to this other bloke. That is also true. Yeah, they could have been sitting on that bench for like an hour, <laughs> and then just moved into the courtyard. That is also true. I mean, it is, yeah, as it is with all art, uh, there is just speculation because we cannot ask. <laughs> so, yeah, beyond that, in this time, it is pure speculation because we can't ask anyone. 
on any of this, and it's all been lost. This is a uh, truly fantasy. It's completely lost the time. Every Does single part of it. A guy, look at her. He does actually, yeah. Yeah, does does the does the other dude um, like actually yeah. recognize her, yeah. or is it just like I, weirdly? St- I I don't remember. I think he does. The other guy does because I I'm literally clicking through the film. Uh, yeah. literally, it, he meets her eye and then like watches her as she moves past. Okay, okay, yeah. Then then she might just be wandering there. Yeah. So he's kind of it like might... tapping him on the back, going, "Sure, buddy, that's what happened. Sure." <laughs> It might be a case of she's not his fiance. <laughs> like, oh, she so... definitely isn't because she's like he is just uh, talking about her, like wanting to marry her, and she's like, "No, I'm also crazy. Can't marry you." Yeah, it it could just be another residence. Like none of this yeah. has happened. Like I honestly think uh, he killed his mate to be with her, and that scarred them both, and has created this <laughs> insanity to go along with it. I'm not even sure if she is the person he's referring to. Like, if she's, like, actually the Jane from his imagination or warped reality. Like, a reference I, point to work off I still don't know if, like, of. everything has actually, like, happened in his, or if it just, like, is, like, kind of, like, a creation of his mind. Like, if the people in his story are really real or if they're all just, like, kind of projections and, and uh, imaginations, but... Well, I mean, I, I suppose if you take the idea that Calgary was just a reference point, because obviously the Calgary at the end looks different to the, the one he uses in the story, then yeah, maybe it was just reference. To go off, this is what I know a woman looks like. Well, it, it's actually quite common in like horror films and games where, oh, it turns out they're insane, and the woman in the story of the love interest is the nurse that's helping him, and the villain's mm-hmm. the doctor. Yeah, it, it happens... A lot, and I'm not sure if this is the originator of it. There's almost certainly stories from before, but it's it's a fairly common Trope. theme to have. Uh, yeah, a common. Welcome review. to one of the first movies having a plot twist. Yeah, <laughs> possibly the first. Uh-huh. Listen, I, I know it definitely isn't. There's going to be some twat in the comments now going, "No, it isn't." There's the fucking film from 1914 in Czechoslovakia that no one knows about but me. I can push on, but yeah, this, this is going to be one of the first. And it's not you, Kieran, for a change. <laughs> it's not all. It's not usually fucking me. I'm not that much of a dick. Yeah, but you know the weirdest movies. To be fair, I know. I, I know. I fucking like. Um, recommend bizarre and awful shit occasionally, but I, I'm not that much of a douche. Miami Connection. You still haven't watched that. <laughs> uh, right. So, uh, yeah, jumping back into the retelling of this, we get the fair, which is great. I want to say, Alan and uh, Francis, the two main characters, are good friends. I quite like that. It, it's weirdly something you don't see anymore. Like they're, they're going after the same girl, but it's all in good sport, kind of thing. I mean, obviously, yeah, like... she's, a, she's a prize, you know, she's a woman, so she's not got a say I mean, in it. Is it so because one plot twist, one dies? <laughs> So, are they in good terms about that girl? I am willing to take the benefit of the doubt. Okay. So that he wasn't murdered. Main character, main character does say, we both love her, we'll let her decide. Yeah, yeah but then, like, the night the literally other literally down. dies. So, he, that makes you, like, think, like, is, has he something to do with it? Is, like, something... 
Yeah. Well, that's what I that's what I interpret as like Francis is the murderer. That's and what I think. Anyway. Hopes that Jane is a necrophiliac, presumably. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> uh, although the first hey, murder. Hey, Ellen, is... then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> although the first murder does happen before Alan. Um, yeah. but. I I still think that maybe that's why he's in that insane asylum. Like he murdered Alan for the lass, and they both went insane because of it. Might be a bit of a stretch, but that I I that's what I thought the original plot twist was going to be. Like he's the murderer, mm. and blaming it on this sideshow attraction and yeah, of this goth in a cupboard. The the murder before that, um, <laughs> borderline doesn't make. Actually, no, I suppose it, do, it doesn't make sense in terms of the, the story he's weaving. Yeah, where you get Calgary murdering the town planner because he needs to, or the town permitter. You don't know who murders, um, murders. I think you just see a shadow and, like, stabbing the. Um... Oh, that's, that's Alan later on. No, yeah, you don't no. see the murder of the clerk. Uh, Is yeah, you, you don't see the murder of the clerk. They, yeah, the, the shadow's Alan. Great fucking scene. Okay, phenomenally okay, good. Okay. Sorry, and the clerk is just said to be dead off screen. Ah, okay. Ah, okay. Oh, yeah, sorry. I, I... I mean, that could be another thing. It might have been Alan. Uh, not Alan, sorry. Francis, who's been sleepwalked into doing all this shit. Yeah. And that's Maybe. the point. However, I do see it as the fact that the clerk was very rude to mm-hmm. Calgary when he was asking for permission to... Uh, Oh, I love tent. that scene and the setting, like how they did it with a with a high chair, like such a cinematographer great way, like showing off like the 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 how he's like superior and like looking down on the poor guy asking for his permit. I I love that how they presented it, like without like even doing much, like nothing much happens in this whole scene where he's like sitting there and waiting and then like getting up and like thinking, oh, now is my chance. But he just like gets shouted at and like sent back to his corner. And, and it's just great. I, I love that scene. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's actually used again later on. Any like most characters with authority seem to be sitting up. Um, <laughs> No worries. Oh no, yeah. Ronya's dying, by the way, so stick around if you want to hear her actually die. <laughs> and I couldn't mute myself quick enough. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, I said don't mute yourself. If you die on die on recording, I get a boost. Yeah. It's like a fucking, if you're um, semester... I, I unmute myself when I'm in my last breath. <laughs> That's it. Goodbye. And that the show. <laughs> and uh, please go to buy me a coffee. And we'll uh, fund Ronnie's funeral, probably, possibly, probably not. We'll buy her a coffee, <laughs> pour one out for Ronnie. <laughs> I don't even drink coffee. No coffee on my coffin. <laughs> Alright, some good fucking German lager then. We'll pour that out. Yeah, the authority on that side. Anyway, yeah, so um, the policemen later on as well, they sit upon high chairs as well it's just something i spotted anyone with a large amount of authority seems to be coming either coming from high or sitting high up yeah i think that that again just comes to the uh, expressionist nature of the film mm. 
where it's just such an easy way to do it on stage like it's it's it you don't need a lot of acting or like um requisites to to do it it, it it's so easy to portray you just it. need like the perspective and and it's done that's a beautiful thing. It's easy to do it on stage, which is why they don't do it anymore because it's got that theatrical bent to it. So it's got this yeah. beautiful um, standing against it. So, uh, Ronya, so we left for a second. Just I'd like to give context to this because Cashin is going to be out there, and Ronya found something mildly interesting. Mildly yeah, interesting. Really I felt like I saw a real fucking dick there. Very interesting. Very fucking interesting. And um, please regale. Yeah, uh, like, okay, so we continue talking without, like, actually recording as you do, um, off screen. Um, no, and I just, like, went through some trivia, um, that, that I found on this movie, because I was, yeah, I thought it was interesting to, like, look some of the backstories, um, up. And I just found out that the movie got banned in 1933. Yeah, because, of course, Nazi Germany thought, like, oh, this is, like, uh, going too expressive and, uh, we need to ban this. Um shitheads and then in 1937 they actually like declared it as like i don't know what the english term for that is but in the nazis had a term for like art that they really hated um they called it an artete kunst and they had an exhibition of that and which they're like basically putting up bad examples of what art is not supposed to look like and how outrageous and, and horrible this is and this movie was actually part of this Let's just say, like, denounced so, art, basically. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, that probably is the is the is the term for what it would be in English. Yeah, sorry, I'm not native speaker to English, so uh, I might not know all the terms. Neither are we. So <laughs> you're doing a lot better than we would if we were doing all this in German. <laughs> Maybe. Guten Tag, guten Morgen, eins, zwei, drei, vier, fünf, sechs. That's, that's the only that reason is... I remember that list, because it goes fun sex. And if you're in a comprehensive English school, everyone just starts shouting out fun sex <laughs> for like 30 minutes. Ich bin ein Berliner. Yeah, there we go. There's, uh, there's another. I'm fairly sure that means I am a donor or I'm from Berlin. <laughs> yeah, it can literally be. I mean, okay, so the term Berliner, um, Berliner um, is like very controversial because like, okay, we in my area, I'm from West Germany, um in in the western parts of germany like basically like all around that like we refer to this as kind of like the the like round like donutty thing without a hole in the middle and you have like jam squeezed into it um that's what what we call uh berliner and we of course call berlin people berliner um the berlin call this kind of dessert actually a pancake we call a pancake a pancake, so not oh. bad. And then we have the southern German people who <laughs> call this a krapp. And uh, yeah, they're, they're, this is like a whole discussion, like in in, in oh. Germany, where like we are fighting about the term Berliner. So uh, side note for everyone. Those, now you know. Yeah, those Berliners sound like complete absolute Berliners. Yeah, I mean, Complete like for donuts. me, like I, I was, I was like born in <laughs> West, West Germany, and 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 like for me, a Berliner is a Berliner, and it totally sounds for me like a donut, like I, and a Berlin person, of course. But like the, the first thing that comes to my mind is a donut. So, um, yeah. Fair enough. There's there's uh, a <laughs> tour through. There's some German trivia. 
bizarre German trivia. I'm glad to know that someone's as hated as the Brummies in England. I'm glad to, I'm glad to know that Berlin's are like little brothers in arms when it comes to being hated by everyone else in the country. Oh no, no, they they are not hated. They, 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 uh, we don't we don't call them. They don't we use, don't the, use the same term because we hate them. It's just like I don't I don't even know where it originated from, to be honest. From hate, Ronya. It originated from hate. <laughs> I don't think so. Aaron, the Germans can't use the word hate anymore. The slippery slope. Dislike. From a, a general feeling of this report. Okay, right. But everyone likes donuts. We like donuts. <laughs> we like the city of donut. Just to say, I, 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 for the sake of context, Ronya, um, donut in English is slang for moron. Okay, that is interesting. Um, so jumping into this stuff, we get our first. <laughs> yeah. We got our first showing of Caesar, uh, Cesare, the uh, somnambulist, who I think almost any shot in this film um, of Caesar is iconic. I, I certainly, for myself, I knew the scene where he came out of the uh, coffin, came out of the closet. <laughs> Uh, with his eyes kind of wide open. I knew that scene before I'd watched this. Obviously, I didn't know where it was from. But I, I had an understanding of that. As well as the scene where he strangles, or not strangles, but grabs Jane later in the film. I knew that scene in my head far before I'd ever seen this. And a, a lot of the scenes that he's in as well have inspired shit from years ago. like uh, The King Kong stuff, where King Kong grabs the woman up the tower, all the way up. He grabs the girl, takes her on the rooftops. I mean, that's in every fucking film. That's in Frankenstein, that's in The Mummy. Um, in terms of mine and Steph's stuff, that was both The Mummy from the Universal Pictures and um, Hammer House. That's in Dracula. That's in some werewolf stuff. That's, that's fucking Time in Memoriam, where the monster grabs the girl and just drags her up a hill. Caesar, I think, is the Cesare. Conrad Veet is is the epicenter. He's he's the the absolute for this. In so much, I think that he was so unique to the time. Just just to describe what he looks like, uh, imagine a goth wearing a gimp outfit <laughs> without the mask, and you get like a decent decent like comparison to what he looks like in this film. I mean, he was, as an actor, he was actually known for his expressionistic movies. That was kind of like his trademark. Um, and pros to him, he, he was uh, against the Nazis and therefore had to leave the country. Yay! Wait. Fight, boy, fight! Not known for expressionism, but I've, I've seen him in other stuff. So again, I don't want to make this like a them and us uh, against expressionism, naturalism. I've seen him in far more modern thinking more modern forward films uh, that work, like Casablanca. He's fucking amazing in that as well. I, mm. I, I couldn't knock him at all for anything in that. That, that is such a good film. That, is that the a... first time you watched it? Yeah, 100%. Um, the first time I'd, I'd gone through it, and it was fucking incredible. Mm. Uh, to find out as well that the French Resistance guy, I know he'd been in loads of shit, and he was, he was an ex-war hero. Lost stuff in that. 
but yeah, it's the first time I went through it because fucking spoiler alert, I haven't I haven't seen a load of shit from back in that era. This is this forces me to do that kind of stuff. Forced to watch Casablanca. Yeah. Fucking worries me. You know what does get me though? Casablanca, Humphrey Bogart in that film. Um he's ugly as shit. <laughs> like, he looks horrendous. He he looks like he's had my fucking amount. The amount I drink. It looks like he's smoked about 50 packs every other day. That's the power of the patriarchy. Back in 1940, we could tell women who was attractive. Like, objectively ugly people. We could tell them, yeah, no, you love them. And women would go, yeah, sure. That was the power of the patriarchy in the 40s. <laughs> fucking back when um, Cary Grant was a star. That 60-year-old ugly motherfucker going out with 30-year-old girls. And there we have a totally different problem in cinema. <laughs> yeah, we totally don't have that kind of horrible shit out, or don't we? Who um Yeah. Was it, how how old was the girl opposite Tom Cruise in Oblivion? Again? How old was the girl opposite Tom Cruise in The Mummy? I feel like they're doing that. What is it? Half your age adds Sorry, seven. But, like, Tom Cruise, like just like having like Tom Cruise is like already an offense. So. So we'll have to remind me, me and Mike, when we went down to London once, we went into the Scientology Centre and did the test. So we'll have to remind me to regale that story on one of these things. Yes, please. I need to know everything. That was about hilarious. That, now. that was great. Isn't that fucking expensive? No. No. Not the initial not, test. Not. not the initial test. If you look oh, gullible okay. enough. <laughs> That's yeah. For anyone, that's what. Okay, me... If you don't give up, I'm a crazy like uh, reporter or something. <laughs> then you can do it without a charge. Okay. Pretty much, yeah. That's what me and Mike do for fun when we go down to London. We uh, we go do the Scientology test and we go see the Chinese embassy. That's what we do for laughs. Yeah, when I went down with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Just... Oh shit! You were there. <laughs> oh fuck! I was there, wasn't I? <laughs> God, that was an interesting experience. <laughs> oh, don't go to London oh, with my. us. It's a waste of time. It's a waste yeah, of time. Yeah, I, I, I can see. Like, I have, I have met Mike in London, but we've only been to museums, so it has been all right. That and we, <laughs> what we looked up, um, smut words in 1600s. Yeah, I found. So random tangent. I found when I went to London, we were in the Theatre Museum. Um, we went upstairs and to an area I'm still not sure we were allowed in. Um, Just yeah, for yeah, and... there was one guy doing like a first aid seminar in the corner who was getting it ready, and he looked at us and I swear to fuck, he shook his head. <laughs> <laughs> he was the only other guy on the floor. Okay. But uh, we, I found a book of like old school, either British slang. Or just like swear words. Mm-hmm. It was like a a, a a naughty dictionary, something like that. Um, and what are the what was the word? It was like boner. It's like bonehead or something ridiculously. Oh, I can't remember the word at all. It was Italian though. I remember yeah, that yeah. part. It was like an Italian commune somewhere in the north that had this very specific word. Um, use as an insult. I'll, I'll, I'll put it in. 
I'll, like, I'll remember it eventually and I'll re-edit it in. I'll make sure to do that. Um, at this point, one hour and four minutes. Perfect. I'll remember that in my head. But yeah, it's, if you ever go to London, um, I highly recommend that museum. And just go through the books and just read through them. It's free. You can put money in. There's also that museum where we saw uh, a blind girl who definitely fucked her dog. But that's another story for another day as well. That's, on a painting? That's sort of. That's separate as well. Okay. On to the film we're actually talking about. How did we wander off again? Like, why? How could this happen? How I wonder at some of these episodes five hours long with three films. Sorry, that took my headset off there. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so, yeah, Caesar's <laughs> Caesare's announced up. Completely forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Fucking, you know what, before we do jump back in, I was in a museum, I can't remember the place, but it was right opposite Euston. I was walking around the fucking thing, it was like a blindness thing, an eyesight thing, being put uh. on display. I went around, I asked one of the staff members, who have t-shirts on saying, ask us anything. Went up to one of them and asked how old's the girl who made this dog nipple sculpture. Because, for context, basically, she's done a sculpture of a young girl, a sculpture of the dog, and they'd swap the genitalia. And me and fucking Ty basically went back and forth. Well, she's over the age of eight. She's definitely fucked her fucking dog. 100%. Went up to one of the staff members, asked them how old was she, and they said, I don't know, Google it. The fuck is the point of you? Going around, you don't know anything about any of them. We did Google it, and wasn't she like 30-something? 31. 31. And, yeah, she had definitely fucked her dog. Yeah. Because one of, the, one of the pictures was literally, like, her and a dog as one. Yeah, that's, it's, it's like um, clay sculptures. She, she and, fucked that dog. Yeah. That was, yeah. All power to you. Probably. This is what we do in London. If your dog's into it. But do I care? And uh, remember, folks, doesn't matter how much peanut butter you spread around your genitalia, doesn't mean they're into it. But we're truly into it. That I'm editing out. That, that the point I'm editing out. Take away from <laughs> How? Why? Again? I have no idea. Uh, right. This is what happens so, when you drink at four o'clock. Ronya, this is what happens. Yeah, full stop there. It's okay. <laughs> I, I should know this, but like, but you're glad you never met me. I've been here for like a year now. I, I should know this now. <laughs> year and a half. In, oh, year and a year, half. You're in a bit. No, actually, you're in a bit, yeah. Oh, I make it worse. And look how I've, how I've ruined you over that year. Yeah, it, it, it's. Ty, Ty's had seven years to ruin me, and then I've used that energy to destroy you. And then oh, eventually, yeah, the reason why he's like it. it'd be like a Russian nest. Put the blame on Ty now. It's like okay, a Russian nesting doll, but like you'll ruin someone else now. And then all these that's viewers will be ruined by us, just destroyed inside. Um, right, fuck me. Where were we? Cesare, the Somali, some, some Baliest. Sleepwalker. Um, sleepwalker. Sleepwalker. Like, yeah, we're going sleepwalker. There's a sleepwalker. So he's he's brought forth. Um, and Calgary says, you know, ask him a question. Ask him push on this. And then someone asks, 
when will I die, Alan and Cesare in... I, I don't know how I'd, I'd actually I'd say this if I, was, I had to act it out, because I don't think there's any way to say it so dramatically as the, the lettering does. It says you won't even see your next dawn, kind of thing. Which, yeah, it's... I've seen fucking... Um, looking up this film, looking up analysis of it, I've seen some uni students, as it happens, as you were talking earlier, Ronya, that have said that this is a showing of how man shouldn't want for more than it has and questioning. Fuck off. It's just a fucking question. Someone asked, and someone would ask, and he's got a response, and Caesar fucking kills him. But I think the problem is, like, do you really want to know? I think that is kind of, like, what these questions of kind of, like, implementing is, like, if you ask those questions, are you prepared to receive the answer? Like, despite the fact that he has been killed on purpose, and, like, with knowing that, but, like, I think that also the point is that you have to, like, are you really prepared to know what's happening, like, when I'm gonna die, or, like, things like that? It's, you, it's... Like, is, is the human mentally prepared to get these it's a it's, it's a common through point with a lot of like prophecy and stuff like that in these in a lot of films like would would he still have died if he had asked that question you know is 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 that why he killed him or was he always going to die bloody blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's a, it's a common theme that's the word i was looking for with prophecy are we prepared to know? And if we does do it know... influence us? Like, if we are getting told you're gonna die like next week, are you going to die because you have been told that you're going to die, or because it is like a higher power deciding yeah. that you are going to die? Like, is destiny a thing? Can the future be foreseen, or is it just like basically like self-proclaiming happening? Well, honestly, I don't think that this guy can tell the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's just a random dude in the same asylum that he's picked out of a crowd. Yeah, I mean, as far as I know, he isn't even a fucking what sleepwalker. Was? He's just... That, that, you know what, before we jump on, I just want to say, the fucking shit people had in the 1920s where a sleeping man was cause for the whole town's entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, oh. but that is actually things that had happened. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, you had, like, you had exhibitions of, like, monstrosities, and, like, this was a common thing back then. And it, it was, like, even put, like, in, in the common years after after 1920, it was le- even, like, like topped with more... Uh, I'm sure this is a thing. Like, 1940, um, you've got Guillermo Pinocchio. I'm sure that was fairly stand-on. But I should say, at least that was a talking fucking puppet. It was like a dancing wooden oh, puppet. No, but like, I, I was like talking about like in the 1930s, what? 1940s, you actually had like, for example, what the Nazis did is like they capture people and like portrayed them in zoos, which was like extraordinary awful. Well, yeah. um, the so like there always had been, and, it, and this was like, know that this was like kind of the tip of the iceberg but it had happened before as well like people were being 
exhibition because of like abnormalities and um, weird behaviors or like like you literally had like in a circus you literally had like the tall man or the bearded woman that is like not out of fantasy this is like things that have actually been done in earlier times no, no. by humans 100% these things were done and this might sound awful what I'm about to say but the tall man is tall and he's kind of interesting. Like looking at Andre the Giant, he's a fascinating figure. The bearded woman, she's a woman who's bearded. That's kind of interesting. Like two midgets who start juggling fucking bowling pins. I'll watch that. A fucking dick who awakens when someone taps him on the head. They could do that shit. Yeah, that's just like me in my normal life. <laughs> I only wake up for work and then go back to sleep. Now. That's your average modern day fucking millennial. <laughs> Who found that do interesting? Feel, do I feel offended now? <laughs> yeah, like, at least like modern day, like not modern day freak shows. Jesus, they don't exist. Thank God. Ripley's yes, Believe or Not, are probably somewhere. Have yeah, you seen no, Honey Boo Boo? Uh, you know what? Even Honey Boo Boo, like Fat Child, less interesting than Strong Man. Honey Boo Boo fits quite well with Man Who Awakens. <laughs> man Who Wakes Up. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, but um, Personally, I would have liked it more that if he wouldn't have woken him up, if he would have done the things like without being like awoken, like so, answered the questions without, but I don't think that they had the possibility to actually portray that. I like the scene so much where he opens his eyes. Yeah. In, in this point where he opens his eyes when he's fully awakened, it's just so beautiful, the expression on that face. Very nice eyes. Yeah. It's disturbing. You can see that open. You get the feeling just that this is some mythical thing. Even outside of what I'm saying, when he does open his eyes, you get the feeling this is something supernatural. This is abnormal. Yeah. It's that expression, that slight rage, that inhumanness that's spectacular and that could only be done by a theatrical performer. Really pushing it out there. Um, yeah, the eye shot, I think I think that's the best shot in the film for me. Reopens it, just opens his eyes up and looks out into the crowd. There's one scene as well where Calgary and Cesare meet Jane later in that I love as well. Um, but this this scene here really shows his stuff, and Alan won't see Dawn. It's a really nice way of putting it as well, kind of poetic, in a way, rather than just saying you will die. She will, will not, not see your next, next Dawn. That, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, and, and it was basically like in German, it was like um, they they literally said until dawn. As a as a literal translation to you know what? what the German was. Until dawn. Yeah, this might it be doesn't my... have the same yeah. meaning any longer. Because yeah, and and no, and it, and I'm grateful that they didn't like literally translate the German into like what it would have been. It doesn't have the same kick then... at all. Nah, it doesn't. That's probably why they didn't choose until dawn. But like it, like I've, until dawn um, would have been the literal translation of it. I've uh, just looked up the exact wording. Uh, it's till the break of dawn. That's mm. cool. That's fucking stunning, though. Till the break of dawn, the idea that when the cockerel croaks, then that's when you're going to uh, 
Kick the bucket. So, um, with that, we... Oh, actually, there's, there's one other thing I need to point out um, through this. I think I have already, but I, I just want to cement it out. Outside of the sets, the lighting itself, there are so many scenes in it that you notice when I was rewatching for it after um, taking all these notes. You get points where it's almost like a spotlight in the center where the actor is central to everything and the shadows are painted in such a way that they have a kind of spiral effect around the person where you get this one light that's peering down and around them is this uh, homage of blackness and light just in spectrums it, it's so handcrafted yeah that, that's it <laughs> that's just it the asylum you'll see it specifically if you go to the first scene in the asylum where um francis goes in for the first time there's a point where he's in the center of it and he's just surrounded by this light and dark that's spectacular it's really beautiful and really sets him out as the the main piece of the puzzle that, that's it uh talking about lights oh. as well actually uh alan killed by a shadow also like is it just me or do i get the feeling that the uh sets also get more disturbed throughout the whole film so that's what something what i'm like realizing right now is i have the feeling that like from the second or like first act on where they start with the backstory or the like the, the, the real story um is that i have the feeling that the that the whole set and like the uh, angles and everything got um more disturbed throughout the scene up until the end i think it goes back to what ty said where the bench in the asylum where he has reference for is normal and the asylum's normal and everything mm-hmm. else is fucked yeah, 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 but, like, I think the level of fuck gets more, like, from the beginning, from, like, when they, like, you have the scene where he is, like, in his um, apartment, it's, like, basically, like, the, the one of the first scene where he reads the letter of, I think, Ellen, was it the other way around? Like, you have this apartment scene where, where they are, like, basically, like, deciding to meet up and, like, see this um, uh, carnival, and this, mm. like, kind of looks, like, normal. But then it like progresses, like I think like act after act, and like the um, the backdrop and um, the whole set gets more morphed and um, abstract. No, I'd I'd agree with that. I'd also specify that the coloured tint over the film, because um, it's not really black and white. It's more like black and yellow and black and blue, uh, gets distorted as well. I don't know if that was a case of remakes, to be fair. Yeah, that that's possibly like the colours. Yeah. yeah. Probably. That does sound more like it. I mean it adds to it. <laughs> I might be looking far too into it. You know what? Yeah, that's kind of like if they I'm wondering now if they did this on purpose. Like, because the you have the um you have the first act with a with a, a bench, like the scene with a bench. Um where it basically in the green lighting and then you have like all of the other like imaginary scenes i just call them imaginary scenes but um up until the point you're back into on on the bench and then the lighting switches to green again and then you have the um and it's kind of revealed that they are in the asylum 
it's back to this yellowish color. And I don't know if they like redid this on purpose like this, or if it was just some sort of like, how can we um, restore the, the footage we have and like make it um, as best looking as we can, like without like putting like, like I don't want to like interpret it, something into it, which is not there. They just, maybe they just had to use this kind of color to make it like actually visible yeah. from what they had as a material. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like, I'm, I'm kind of curious on that. Like maybe someone was like, okay, like this will add a touch of like what we are interpreting into this movie right now. We can add this kind of, like oh. maybe someone did it on purpose, but nowadays and not in the 1920s would also be interesting to know. We get uh, Francis putting the coppers and as we said that the high stalls with the police officers, um, as Ty mentioned, that Francis put in a kind of lower spot, desperate. He puts them on Calgary's trail. Uh, and then for all this, a random murder happens where a guy tries to kill an old woman for reasons. Uh, is attempted, yeah. Yeah, uh, with the same kind of knife who's... I, I, you know, I, I sound dismissive. I quite like it, actually. Because it gives Calgary motive, or not motive, opportunity to fuck off. Uh, during this whole period, and to kind of create the the whole um, illusion that Cesare is in two places at once, which is fucking great as well. I can only imagine how back in like the nineteen twenties, I'd love to be able to sit through that as an actual person back in the nineteen <laughs> hundreds. How amazing it must have been to see the twist to go when he was in the coffin and oh no, fuck, he's out there. I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm misreporting on this because people have seen theatre plays and shit back then, but I, it's still got to be spectacular to see it on the screen. Especially when you're not used to it. Because, like, I think this movie is, like, with, with so many plot twists and different level of perspectives and, and, and perception, um, it, it does confuse you a lot. I mean, that is its purpose. Um, so, yeah. Without like having this like it done in like twenty five movies at least before that, um, it it is really really interesting. So if you're like fresh to this, this this would have been great, I think. It's still good it, now. It, it is still good. It yeah. is still good. But like just like you now look at it with a different perspective as what we have seen in like books and movies so far in our time. Well, I mean, on perspective. We get to the Alan dying by the shadow. Um, and it's German expressionism back then. German um, films, silent films, were just masters. The lighting, right? The lighting is, is so important to any film that you push on. Any black and white film, especially. Like you go to even modern tellings of The Lighthouse, Ed Wood, if we go for um, something Tim Burton esque, one of my favourite films as well. Fucking brilliant. Probably they had like all the, with all the um, restrictions on the electricity. That's where they emphasized on the lighting oh, on this scene. <laughs> I can only imagine. Like, they've got one camera angle. Lighting is going to make it or break it. Yeah. I mean, have you well, seen not? Have you seen Nosferatu, Rania? Uh, yes. Classics. The the scene where he's coming down the stairwell. I'd hope with that's a big shadow. Yeah. I'd hope that's iconic in German media. Oh yeah, definitely. It is here as well. Uh, Ty, sorry, you were going to say something. 
Well, no, because I'm basically watching the movie as we talk about it because it's just fun to do. Um, again, he hasn't ref- seen uh, it. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but going through the shadow scene and what I was mentioning before, the editing, there is three shots in total, I think. Four. There's the shadow um, with approaching his bed. And then there's just a shot of his outstretched hands in horror. Just a quick flash of them and then him being terrified on the bed. And then him getting murdered by the shadow. And it's very quick editing. But it's Mm -hmm. very, very well done in portraying just his absolute horror. And I just wanted to mention that because I'm going to suck the editors whatever they've got. Basically. Also, like editing or back prob- in the days. Probably very ashy just, like, day. chopping up the movie. It was literally chopping up yeah. and like yeah. piecing it together. Just like kind of incredible. With glue. Literally. Yeah. Like literally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you glued the how, how is it called? Film tape? Yeah. Together. I can't even imagine how they copied it on and put it through printing presses and shit. It's another world. Entirely. So cool. I, it's fucking magical. Genuinely. That, that, that shadow scene it, it's something I almost couldn't imagine getting allowed in a fucking Disney film later on. It, it's For the 1920s it almost seems surrealist that it was pushed and allowed to, to happen back then it's disturbing definitely i mean it, this is like 40 years before psycho happened then again like yeah but to be honest like this is like nothing like only adults would have gone to the cinema anyways like cinema wasn't like something you would do with your children i think psycho 1960 that's got one scene where you've got the, the shower scene, yeah that everyone knows that's less disturbing than this. And some of the scenes in this are far worse um, than that. Like the scene where Cesare goes to Jane later on, that's 100% worse mm. than what happens in that. Far more disturbing. And it, it was pushed through. It, it's, it's beautiful. Absolutely phenomenal. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's anything more to be said. Just the shadow on that, the casting of it. Magical. So, uh, Francis puts the coppers on Calgary's trail, and we get, yeah, the random of the murders happening. Um, Calgary creates a dummy of Cesare. I think it was the actor, I'm pretty sure, in the, the coffin to try to really pull the ruse over you, and then eventually it goes over to the actual dummy later on. It's yeah, and then Jane goes down to visit the carnival, in a kind of sealing her own doom in the same way that Alan earlier asked for his time of death, and we get this scene with Cesare and Calgari just looking and staring at Jane head on, which is again I now I'm lost for words, and she has that same stiff element to her throughout all of this. It's zombie-esque. 
fucking staggers me that anything I say, like anything I reference, I have to say years after this was done. This really was fundamental to so much shit later on. Does she look like Morticia Adams to anyone as well? I don't know. <laughs> like, I hey, haven't hey. noticed that. Like she looks <laughs> A, she looks like Bride of Frankenstein. Like beyond the hairdo, she acts a hundred percent like Bride of Frankenstein. And the look generally Morticia Adams. Spot on. Like in absolute. Uh not so sure. I'm st- I'm oh, talking the fifties uh, version, I'm not talking the layer version. No, I, I know. Say. Yeah. What the twenty twenty two remake? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we we don't we go don't. there. It's okay. We we don't go there. No, we don't go to that pile of shit. Awful film. Or awful show. Awful, awful show. And awful film. The animated film is terrible as well. Uh, the animated film's there. Take I that. like the show. Tell that General Ortega. Ah, the bitch opened up against writers online. I can be personally offended on behalf. I actually like General Ortega. She did a good job. It, it's Netflix bullshit, and I hate Netflix bullshit. Yeah, that you can say fuck you to Netflix, that's fine. <laughs> I have no issues. She did a good job there. Even if you it was... Yeah, uh, you know what? No, I'm just not going to touch that. Yeah, we have more interesting things. Yeah, yeah. This is the bit as well where Calgary just pushes his hand against the scenery, the point, and just drags it along. Which again, kind of melding into that same um, environment, which is just yeah, blending, seriously blending, uh, gliding across the walls, canvas as though we were a part of it, and then. We push on as we get Cesare, who's a mannequin. The police see him and they say, okay, he's still asleep. And Calgary says, I can't wake him for one reason or another. And then we get the, the slight like a midway twist where we see another Cesare who, in my second favourite scene in the film, I'm going to get this bit, Cesare making his way to the bed uh, ominously slowly. Just... Trepidatiously wandering. What it really does remind me of, um, his character, his his look, uh, is again Tim Burton, um, Edward Scissorhands, um, and the very similar. Tim Burton's basically ripped off all of this. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) we can agree on that. (laughs) The the juxtaposition between him in basically all black. Which is another very good shorthand of of good and evil, basically, and innocence and corruption. Uh, she's in all white. Like even her bed is covered with this like white lace. Um, yeah, and- I think that's what like later on like movies like Dracula and so also like pulled off from, like picking like the innocent uh, virgin women like out of your of of her bed. Mm. Like you have like always these clean white sheets, the white flowy nightgown and they look like majestical and, and, and innocent and pure. I mean that's been yeah, that's that's going back to I imagine Grimm's fairy tale stuff. In terms of filmmaking, absolutely. Uh, yeah, he he's about to stab her. And then has second thoughts. 
and kidnaps her instead. Very much a, a movie monster-esque reaction as he carries her over these rooftops. It's an amazing set they created. I, I, I'd argue it's the best in the film. The, the rooftop where he's actually holding her by the land and it looks like he's about to fall off. Um, very gothic. Just, just... No, I can't say anything about it. Yeah. It looks like uh, Edward Munch picture. Edward Munch painting. It's surrealist. I'd agree. But a chase happens. Or as, as much as you can say, <laughs> it happens <laughs> quite slow, honestly. A jaunt. A jaunt through the countryside. Where um, Cesare dies. Uh, where he dumps the body first. Which, kind of, yes. Uh, I would be like, dude, they're chasing you. Do it just like. But like, to be fair, he has a point there. Like carrying like a woman, like assuming like she weighs like around fifty kilograms at least. Like dropping her is like kind of like a wise decision <laughs> just yeah. for running away. You've been caught, mate. And then, yeah, as Kieran put it, he just kind of collapses in a forest. Well, it's it's mentioned in the book later on, um, and you read through it that the sleepwalkers don't last long. So I, I right. think it's a push on that. Um, I had trouble reading the books later on because uh, I'm dyslexic and I really can't read cursive very well. It's not even cursive; it's something beyond cursive. <laughs> it's illegible. Yeah, nineteen twenties cursive. A hundred percent, yeah, it's it's miserable to get through. And but yeah, basically sleepwalkers die part way through. That's what it read on. That's what it wrote down. So I don't know what it says in the German version if you've read the book. Um so yeah, he dies. The other one is found to be a puppet and tiny little basically if you imagine Danny DeVito as the penguin starts waddling away towards the asylum <laughs> through these same like six sets. Um, and makes his way to the asylum, which, in fucking twist again, is this film's like the inception of twists. Uh, he's shown to be the head of the asylum. Have we uh, talked about the fact that Francis goes back to the um, to Caligari's um, uh, trailer, and that he actually just found a puppet there, that of the uh, of Star. Well, that's what, yeah, when the, the police come down. Yeah, yeah. Pushed around. The, the um, trailer thing that Calgary has as well, and the coffin inside, the window perspective on that is really lovely. Where Calgary's oh, yeah. sleeping, you can see the coffin mm -hmm. below. Uh, the lighting on that. I, I have no idea how they did it. Absolutely. I couldn't even imagine how they managed to put the shadows on that then yeah we get to the asylum which quite rightly as you said earlier um, is far more uniform than the earlier scenes less distorted more regulated there's obvious architecture you can just tell just the courtroom just the courtyard though the actual cells and the hallways are very very skewed and the paintings on the wall 
are basically just this long, almost tentacle-like reaching out for him. Yeah, that's what I was uh, saying about it. it gets like disturbing, like the, the imagery gets more disturbing from when we progress. So which kind of puts emphasis on this mental distraction of, of, of the person. The asylum itself, um, I think I think the courtyard, was it a set? I'm trying to remember now. We're going to have to, I don't have it on me. It's going to sound very, but um, did it look like a set? Uh, well, there are stairs leading up in the background that people do come down. Probably not, then. But I'll stand on that. Yeah, it's probably separate to all that kind of stuff. You get people kind of wandering around. It's, it's definitely asylum-esque. And then the the next few minutes, the next, like, 10, 15 minutes. It's another interesting thing to say about the whole film. The original was about 40 minutes, 45 minutes, I think. But obviously the frame rate was a lot lower back then. Doing like mm. 16 frames per second. So the film went by far, far faster. Um, which, yeah, it's why you have, when you think back to like the 60s and you get these kind of Abbott, uh, um, Abbott and Costello stuff. And uh, Laurel and Hardy, you you see the kind of fast moving feet and mm. the the running around that specific stance. That's why it's kind of sixteen frames per second. Yeah. It's it just speeds through a lot faster. And why the current version is, I think, seventy minutes, roughly. Uh, one hour and forty. Okay, yeah. The, is the YouTube video you said? Yeah, seventy four ish. Yes, it is on YouTube. People, you can watch it on YouTube for free. Public domain. Legally can. Doesn't stop me normally, but this time it's all legal. Yes. <laughs> Don't commit to anything. Uh, we may not or may us. not advocate piracy against giant corporations that don't give money to the artists anyway. The Internet Archive and or something rhyming with Lut Locker may be able to find us. We don't advocate piracy. No, sorry. One, two, three. No piracy for me. Unless it's fun. Neither do we advocate any bays of piracy, generally. Any, like, how would you say it? Like a pirate bay? Unless it's a historic ship and people are lapping on it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> any of our films. Like None of them. I personally purchased all of our films that we've done. You know, I did purchase the fucking Santo stuff that we have to do at some point. It cost me about a thousand pounds total. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I love my it kills me. Uh, we are going to do that at some point. Probably not in the way we were going to do it, but we're probably just going to go over all of them at some point. What a load of shit. That's promises for the future. Yeah, which right, I should never do. Like um, yeah, <laughs> right. So it seems to be a puppet all in this asylum stuff. Uh, we get a, like, again, 15-minute sequence of them just, like, reading his diary, well, reaffirming what we already know. Beyond that, we get a flashback and a flashback, which I think is kind of impressive. 
that's where he looks back into his mind to see um, Calgary admires a person called Calgary. It's actually not Calgary. He's just taking theoreticals from that side of things. So I think that is really impressive, genuinely really impressive, this kind of era. And then I suppose if no one else has got anything to say, we'll just rock on. Um, twist at the end, Francis is insane. Dum, dum, dum. Or is he? Yes. I'm going <laughs> to. Can you say dun 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 again, Ron? Yeah, I'm just going to take that. Dum, dum, dum. Thank you. Yeah. Slightly higher. Uh, where. Again, this is to the editor, and it's spectacularly well done. There's um, a kind of Looney Tunes-esque That's All Folks where the the screen goes dark but holds on Calgary for just one moment longer than anything else mm. and then dredges inwards. I, that's the main editing, like how it transitions from scene to scene and it's really good. I really like how they do it. It's... I mean, they don't have much more to do it with. Like... <laughs> They, they are, their work is like kind of limited, so they actually have to think so much about like expressions and like how they cut the scenes. I think that, that's a they, really good point on it, though. Uh, but then they had nothing, and now they don't have much. Uh, it, it just shows how fundamental editing is to everything. Hmm. But, and, like setting scenes, and like like literally, like yeah, what um. Um, the term a director of a movie would uh, actually like like that this job is like so essential to the whole movie. Yeah, I I, I think the editor really is the one of the most, if not the most important things, because a good edit of a bad film can make it better, and vice versa. Yeah, I I think this is probably the. <laughs> The best film we're ever going to cover. Um, I, I don't know. Brain we covered. Brain dead we covered. Yeah, but I'm, in terms of all the things I've gone over with Steph and with yourself over the years, I, even with Mad God, Mad God I put as like a ten out of ten. Mad God I think is perfect. Alice I think is borderline perfect. Yeah. You love um, that movie way too much. Yeah, way too much. This, Who do you think I, recommended it to him? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was all Ty's doing. Um, oh man, you you are the source. Okay. This I I think is beyond that. This I think is one of the. If I was gonna like go to Aliens, if I was gonna go to a different planet, and say, look, these are the five films you have to watch just to get an idea of human culture. This is one of the films I'd show them. I think the thing is that this is like from a totally different era and like it, it, it's hard to compare a movie that is like with a total different production mindset and everything behind it. It, it it's so difficult to compare this to modern television if this was done nowadays though if tim burton did this now and added dialogue would it be good Oh yeah, hell, it would be like I'm not. I'm not pushing that the movie is bad. Like hell, I'm not doing that. But I think it's like still like comparing like what is supposedly be like it is the 
the expo- uh, expressionistic movie from Germany. Like, if if you have to pick a movie and like showcase it and say like, hey, what represents expressionism in Germany in cinema? Then people pick this movie. So it is like like you. So that that that's where I'm getting. It's like it, it's so hard to compare something like that to to a modern movie. It is something I'd say like totally different. Which doesn't make it bad, it makes it hella good, but um, it is really difficult to, to say, oh yeah, it's better than movie from 2019A and movie B from 2021, because they are like from totally different backgrounds with totally different mm-hmm. influences and, uh, and meanings behind them. No, yeah, that's perfectly fair. The era, it all has to be taken into context. I, I suppose to go to our usual. Just to, to push on that, um, first, on a, on a standard, would you recommend, which I think, I'd like to think is going to be universal. I'm going to disown any of you if it isn't. <laughs> Not recommending it. <laughs> Kicked out of the podcast, but, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think for, for any film fan, for any, yeah, not even a horror fan, just for any film fan, I highly recommend it. And for any non-film fan, fuck it, if you happen to be watching this for god knows what reason, like two hours in. Yeah. No one? <laughs> um, it, it's... Random people wanting white noise to fall asleep, maybe? <laughs> because my voice in Wolverhampton accents are that boring. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Um, Ty? Yeah. Funnily enough. Um, it is a wonderful example of uh, limitation breeds creativity, and I am glad that it got the recognition at the time that it deserved. And uh, I suppose the second question we have as well, Ronya, I'm going to give you both of them to kind of push you against the plank and make you start. Um, would you recommend it, and what films in the same area or if someone liked this, what should they go on to? Would you? <laughs> okay, so first of all, yes, I would recommend it. But kind of like as a warning for people, you have to like, okay, this sounds like super posh, but I don't think that people who just want to like see something entertaining will be entertained by that. Like, if you, like, go into this movie with, like, no expectations, with, like, I just want to be entertained by a movie, this is not the movie for you. Because I think this movie is more of those movies that actually, like, make you think and you need to kind of, like, think about it and, like, talk about it. And, like, it's kind of like back in school when you read a novel, that kind of thing. And there were the people in class who liked that, who liked to discuss the novel. And then they were like, why do we have to do this again? So for everyone who liked that back in school, <laughs> highly recommend, because that's what you're going to do with this movie. And you're going to discuss it, and you're going to think about it, and you're going to like it. Um, if you just want to watch a like, movie and just want to be entertained by the television program, you go watch something on the telly and not that. Okay, so uh, second question, comparable? if someone enjoyed this, yeah. I, I literally don't know. You're the chairman. It's like, You're the authority. Like, yeah, I like I can't like pinpoint something because 
of course there were so many artists like for example like Tim Burton definitely took inspiration from that and you can literally see like in his uh, stop motion movies you can see like if you for example have Nightmare Before Christmas or something like this, uh, like that you have the scenes that are portrayed in a very similar style or like um, if you also like have seen his artworks like he not only did films but he also did uh, paintings um, and drawings and and, and and those like you see a lot of influence of this movie in his artworks but it's still like I, I can say like yeah then watch Tim Burton but it's still like not the same it's it's still like on a totally different level it's like if you like that yeah there are others that draw inspiration from that which you might then recognize and and appreciate which are like for example like also like um films like Nosferatu or like even Tim Burton movies um who definitely drew from that um old school horror movies definitely have um so you would like that but it's not like a recommendation because it is like this it is just more like hey look at all those other films which definitely have drawn from this kind of thing oh, yeah. that was That's a very long yeah. talk about it just <laughs> <laughs> jump in there and tie anything you'd recommend uh let's see i'm not gonna go with like oh this is very similar more in of a uh visual standpoint because it that's I, lo- I that's what i love most about this film um what i would say is well yeah i'm gonna say it. alice once again uh, <laughs> film we would uh if you haven't already watched it fucking watch it it's uh a, a, an absurdist dream uh also bit of a left field because we mentioned dc earlier uh the scarecrow and mad hatter segments from the arkham series oh Very... yeah no, oh, yeah, a hundred percent. Especially the Mad Hatter sequence. Once again, Alice in Wonderland. Um, guess what I like. But um, beyond that, uh, yeah, there's uh, a lot of what's it called? Fuck. There's a YouTuber who has a very similar style. Do yours, Kieran, and then I will come back with that YouTuber. Give me two minutes. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> fuck, I wish you didn't. So, I think, for one, Nightmare Before Christmas, amazing art style. In terms of Jan Svalkmeyer stuff, Alice, um, his shorts on YouTube, 100% worth watching. And they've got this surrealistic element as well. The shorts especially. The shorts are weird as shit. I love them. Really adore them. I went through like a uh, marathon of them. They're really great. <laughs> Fucking so weird. It's the the breakfast, dinner, lunch one. I vaguely remember where two men like eat each other over and over again. Yeah, but, uh, it, it's so good. Um, there was one. He, there was an advert he did for like a steak company. Meat love. Meat, meat love. love. But um, I'm gonna. I'll take. I suppose if one's going surrealist, one's going Tim Burton. I'll push out the German and say um, the British had some stuff during the 1930s and I remember where Casablanca the French guy in that came from um, so I don't know if either of you know, do you remember the, the French guy in Casablanca, the officer who worked in Morocco, who was friends with Humphrey Bogart through the series 
I mean, I know of him. But... Uh, that was Claude Rames who played that. And you might learn a name from a Universal film called The Invisible Man. Mm. Way back in the day. A classic, absolute classic of Universal monster movies. Uh, which showcased what effects could do. And I think someone watching that and seeing just the bandages being taken off one by one, showing a completely invisible stature, it, it's incredible. I watched it with my nan recently, uh, taking around, went to H&B, just grabbed a load of stuff. Absolutely loved it. That's that's what some Western, like British, American stuff. You found the YouTuber? Yes, I have. Now, this gentleman is a, what I describe a perfect blend of surrealism, gothic animation, and you know we were talking about the kind of expressiveness of the actors in this film. Um, this animator combines himself like a live action version of himself with uh, a cartoon. Uh, the YouTube is called James Lee. Uh, I'm going to share this with YouTube because fuck it. Because no one else can see him. Um, he is another brilliant um, use of expression in terms of the way he acts like a cartoon character and animates himself as well. Uh, as well as the kind of visual crookedness almost and dystopian and uh, very gothic as well. Kind of animation style uh, and artwork that we see in this film as well. So, uh, and any opportunity I will get to bang on about James Lee, I will. Fuck me, that's kind of a magma horror face at the front. Oh yeah, Something straight from Spyro. Yeah, um, the, this in contrast to some of the other shit we've done, Bloodfight Lake, um, <laughs> Chris Seaver <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Similarly, I think this is someone with a vision. In this case, the editor, the um, set designers, who had something they wanted to make, and they made it. Mm. They had limitations, just as Chris Seaver and Future did, and they they worked to that. They knew what the limitations were. Mention Chris Seaver on every episode until (laughs) we have an episode with him on it. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah, hundred percent. I'm down. He, he, you know, he's never coming on. He, he would despise us. I, I, I me. Mean, that would make hate it me. more fun. That would make it so much funnier if he just fucking despised. I think us. I've, I've shat on him every single time. You, you, and um, our Canadian. Fuck me. Jesus that's Christ. Nice. Yeah, that's me forgetting my own friend's name. <laughs> How many drinks are you in? Do you have an excuse? More than I should be. <laughs> five o'clock. Matt. I'm going to edit that round now. <laughs> Our Canadian friend Matt, who... Name I definitely remembered. <laughs> now... Didn't have a long 15 minutes. And it didn't take pause. you like five minutes. No, it definitely uh, didn't. Spent- 15 minutes trying to figure out what your friend's name is. And I'm I mean, sure I'm sure that's the right... Fucking Discord. Fucking modern day. I can only see his Discord name. It's bullshit. That's what I refer to him as. Everyone refers to me as Meep online. That's how it is now. But yeah. Kamen Dr. Kogari. Highly recommend. 
and uh, we will be pushing into more uh, original fucking series stuff. We'll be going back into the namesake of the Seventh Circle where we go into actual uh. franchises. We're going to start with some fucking animal killer shit. Some basic fun shit. desperately to, pro- to postpone it. <laughs> and we're not, we're not doing fucking serious. We're going to go into crocodile shit. Fun crocodile stuff. That's what we're going to do. Which, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, thanks for listening. It's always fun. And, uh, yeah, an insight into what we do on holiday. The, the miserable lives we lead. God help us all. Leave the floor to say goodbye. Both of you. Ta-ta to Satan's death word. <laughs> Bye.